Well, I want to welcome you to the channel today. I have a very special guest we are going to get into quite a bit today. I first want to just thank so many of you for subscribing, for liking, for sharing. The channel is continuing to grow. I will be at 2,000 subscribers like we within the next few weeks. And it's because of you. And it's because of God and how he has invited us into this ministry. It's a channel, It's, it, but it's growing and, and it's growing because there's value in it that you uh, have, have helped to promote. So without further ado, today we're going to get into this concept of pattern, this idea of season. There's a lot we're going to get into, and I think there's going to be uh, quite a bit to chew on as we get into our conversation today. Let me introduce our speaker. Jeannie Shaw served in the full-time ministry for 47 years, most of those working alongside her husband, Wyndham. For eight years, she served as vice president of Hope Worldwide, working with orphans in Eastern Europe. She has taught workshops and classes on marriage, parenting, loss, adoption, spiritual growth, leadership, and women in the church in numerous countries. In the last few years, she became a widow, retired, moved, and began her doctorate in spiritual formation. She has four adult children, eight grandchildren, and a golden retriever who loves hiking with her. She has a passion for learning, teaching, writing, and has authored numerous books. Jeannie, welcome to the channel. Thanks. It's great to be with you, Kyle. Appreciate Absolutely. It. I'm so excited. So let me first have you go into more detail about your conversion and why you went into the ministry. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, thanks for asking. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of old uh, <laughs> to a lot of people. I'm, I'm 67 years old, so I'm going back a few years here. But I was really blessed to grow up in a Christian home. And I know while no family's perfect, uh, I did know my parents were the real deal. Um, you know, they lived, ate, breathed for God. And, uh, you know, I, one thing that hits me, I'll, I'm just going to share a few things, background to make, uh, help you understand kind of my conversion, where I'm coming from. But um, I, I described my dad, I think he put it well one day when he, I, I heard him, overheard him when someone was asking him, what do you do? And he said, well, he had a big booming voice. My occupation is the Dean of Admissions at the University of Florida, but my preoccupation is the kingdom of God. <laughs> and that was evident. That's awesome. Uh, my mom had grown up in a traditional church of Christ, kind of down on the, uh, on the other side of town where her dad was an elder. But my dad had desired to reach the campus students and help begin a little congregation called 14th Street. And... Um, Something very forming on my character growing up, probably as a preteen, was the desire to just reach out about Jesus. And uh, I remember boarding a bus with the whole church where we uh, rode to Madison, Tennessee, because that was the fastest growing church of Christ at the time. And just uh, the heart was to learn, okay, how do we, how do we learn uh, from others? And that really had a big impact on me. Um, you know, I, there was, I didn't really have a teen ministry, um, but my older sister uh, really kind of, in an inspiring way, called me out on the way I was living my life as a, as a very young teen. Um, you know, I was uh, a bit rebellious. I was swearing. I was uh, trying a cigarette here or there, you know, behind backs, which I knew all that was wrong. And um Yet, I also really knew and believed um, that God was real, that Jesus was real. So I kind of was stuck because I couldn't enjoy sinning. I felt so guilty. <laughs> but I, I connected God with uh, punishment more uh, mm. than a God who was a, a, a punisher more than a provider. And so I remember being up most night most of the night one night I couldn't sleep when it really hit me because I had thought okay I'll become a Christian when I can get good enough and um when it hit me oh I think that's the point I can't <laughs> I nice. can't and nice. so uh just really Jesus what he did for me his love for me um I was baptized the next day and uh it was kind of interesting I I counted the cost with my 
with my 13 year old self. <laughs> and I remember asking myself questions because we didn't really have Bible studies that we do now. Um, you know, I, I remember saying, okay, so if someone puts a gun to your head and asks you to deny Jesus, will you do it? You know, will you do it? Well, if you're asked to go to Africa, will you go? If you lose the most important things to you, will you still believe? And, um, you know, those were seemingly non-practical questions, but um, God has a sense of humor, I think. And surprisingly, um, I didn't have a gun to my head, but I did have a knife to my back. And um, mm. but it was very traumatic experience, but was able to share about Jesus during that time. Uh, we were asked to move to Africa. Um, and we're excited about going, but um, needs in the church there and the church in Boston changed so that we were asked to stay instead. And then, of course, I lost the love of my life. And yet I know that God uh, still sustains me and I do have something to give still. So it's interesting that that 13 year old self, all those how many years ago, well over 50 years ago, uh, asking those questions. Um, God, in a interesting way, <laughs> you know, called me to answer those. And, um, you know, I, today I just, I'm just so grateful for that decision. It's changed the course of my life, uh, my family, my grandchildren. So I'm very, very grateful. So why I wanted to go in the ministry, um, interesting, when I was, when I was nearing uh, high school graduation, the campus ministry at that time at 14th Street Congregation became uh, active and that congregation, in fact, so active we had to move and it was the, became the Crossroads Church of Christ, which many people have known about uh, in our church history. Uh, my dad was an elder at that church and it was a time of life in the early 70s where purpose your purpose in life was on, on the heart and mind of young people. I mean, we were going through a very disillusioning uh, Vietnam War. Um, desegregation and some of the social injustice issues were, were big. And um, the only thing I could fathom that could make a difference in people's lives was Jesus. And I believed it then and I believe it now. And I remember feeling even when I went into college that. Um, you know, probably to the chagrin of my parents, some, but uh, school was just in the way for what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted just to share about Jesus with people. And, um, you know, I, I really had no idea uh, what that meant, uh, what the ministry would be like. I did love to just share Jesus with people, though. And I remember that was a very formative time uh, that caused me to want to go in the ministry my college years. My roommate, uh, we lived in this kind of tight-knit honors dorm. My roommate was, uh, she was baptized in about the first three weeks. And then um, I don't even really know how it all happened, but God was at work. There were about five other girls on that floor that became Christians over that year. And I just saw um, lives changed. And... I just wanted to be a part of that in any way I could. And um, my husband and I fell in love in, at the university. Uh, he was ahead of me. So I finished my internship in North Carolina where he was a campus minister. And we saw over a hundred students baptized that first year. And it just, the seeing people's lives, lives changed by the love of Jesus and just by God in their lives. Uh, it just fed my desire for ministry. I, I just had a passion for it, always wanted to do it. So I'm grateful for the years I was able to devote to that. Well, it's interesting, your book that you've got coming up, what, I think it's What's Next, God, Finding God in Transitions. I think you are someone who is uh, uniquely qualified to be able to write a book like that because you've been through so many different seasons, but you also probably have some sort of idea of what tends to make us stuck in our seasons. And so if you yeah. could just share a little bit about this book that you've got coming up, I'm, I'm very much intrigued. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, 
I like to write out of what I'm experiencing my own life in ways that uh, hopefully it can help me and others. But I have felt a long time that as I've watched people go through transitions, whether it's from um, high school to college, whether it's losing a job, getting fired, um, getting moved or moving, um, losing someone they love, those are deeply challenging times. Certainly there's a lot of grief involved, but um, those times challenge our own identity of who we uh, see that we are and who we are with God. And I see too many people um, just really feel lost in those times. Um, you know, what, don't really know who they are anymore. Uh, don't know how to find God or hold on to God through those kind of darker times. Not all transitions are dark. Some of them are, are wonderful. Um, you're ready to have a, another child. That's a wonderful transition, but it changes things as well. But in these transitions, um, I found some things in my own life and just from studying the scriptures that have been really helpful. I've, I've really looked at um, some particular individuals as, as they relate in the Bible, as they relate to transitions. Uh, one of my favorite is uh, Hagar. And I've uh, some of the, she certainly went through some very horrible and difficult transitions, uh, which weren't fair. Um, and yet God heard her, God saw her. And uh, she, I think, tended to lean away from the pain. And uh, I think that's what a lot of times we can do. That's what I used to do, try to get away from the pain and not really uh, experience, not really lament it. Um, you know, I've looked at uh, people like Paul and one of the things we can miss very easily in, the, in his huge transition, his conversion from being um, a persecutor of Christians, a Pharisee of Pharisees, we can so easily think, oh yeah, Paul, he was converted, the, the road to Damascus, and then went on to being this, you know, incredible evangelist to the Gentiles. We forget that he spent, after his conversion, there were three years in the desert, and um, he was being formed in his transition, I believe, during these times. So many things that uh, I believe we've got to really lean into those transitions to grieve them where we need to, to, to mark them, not just uh, too quickly lose ourselves in something else, but to mark them. There are, uh, there are some Ebenezers that need to be raised, some um, stones of remembrance that need to be marked. I think marking transitions is really, really important. And I want to talk about some, some ways to to practically to do that, but also just not being afraid to uh, feel lost for a time and to really go through the, uh, the lament that is there in scripture to help to take us from orientation to through disorientation to reorientation. And certainly the Psalms walk us through that so many times, but those are some of the things I've also reached out to people and just asked them to share their stories that I might use in this book as well. And uh, that has been uh, incredible because I've gotten some stories that are really hard, but really meaningful because everybody is, one thing is for sure, we're all gonna go through a lot of transitions in our life. And um, if we can't figure out how to navigate them with God and close to God and not losing, who we are, who God tells us we are, then um, we're gonna we're gonna slip during those transitions. So I think they are a time that can grow us, form us, make us stronger than we've ever been, or uh, they can be areas that really catch us off guard. And the more I think we can prepare for those and expect them and see them as normal, but um, how God is with us in those transitions is really important. So that's some of what we'll be talking about. I so appreciate that there's so many, I mean, there's just a vast array of folks 
who are you had mentioned being disoriented who they feel very disoriented and they also feel de-skilled and mm -hmm. there's a season of life that many especially in the builder generation of our churches are being called to that they don't really have a sense of traction and so i really appreciate you writing about this because i think there's a lot of folks who are like okay god's calling me into my next ministry assignment into my next season my second act people don't know how to do that they don't know how to they've never done it before yeah. and so it's yeah. scary and it's not a known quantity by any means so true and this certainly this last decade has been that for me certainly uh, even while my husband was sick i was his caretaker and it was um it was a horrible disease let me just say that that he had it was horrific um it's like a combination of als and parkinson's uh where your mind is still there but um you know he couldn't have lifted a, his hand if said, I'll give you a million dollars to lift your hand up, you know, um, and eventually couldn't talk and uh, eventually couldn't breathe. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really hard, but there was a transition, a lot of transition that, um, there was a transition in my job working as, um, a single woman in the ministry and that's no little transition. Um, there was, uh, certainly uh, the transition of selling our home. Uh, well, before that, the transition of um, 40, almost 45 years uh, with someone that where you live as one and then they're gone. Um, and then the transition of selling the home that, you know, my kids pretty much grew up, the younger ones particularly grew up in of that had been our home for over 30 years and um moving retiring uh moving to another state and starting my doctorate there's i guess that's a lot of transitions <laughs> uh i think i think we could lose count very easily <laughs> and i and i just want to say Jeannie, i with you sharing about losing your 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 husband i really appreciate you sharing that i you know loss always has a tenderness to it um, and, and I, I really am sorry. You hear this a million times. I really am sorry, uh, not just for the loss, but for the process of it. And I think it's very hard when people don't go. I mean, there's just, there, there was no, there wasn't a lot of peace in what you shared. Right. Um, right. and so my heart just goes out to you for that and your thank family you. and the, the kids and everything. So thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, so in terms of your doctor research, this is part of why I, I have you come on is you've got incredible experiences, a lot of stories, uh, but then now it's led you to this path of research. I love research, mm -hmm. and but it's, it's a labor of love, sometimes more labor, sometimes more love. What a journey you have ahead of you at your beautiful age. <laughs> and so to undertake a doctoral program now it, it's that's a calling tell us a little bit about okay, what is it for you that you want to do this research and what is the research oh thank you yeah i you know i just i got my master's while i was caretaking Wyndham, and um it was in spiritual formation as well and i learned so much and um just was eye-opening in so many ways but i uh, I, I love to learn. I'm an incredibly curious person. <laughs> and uh, sometimes that can be good, sometimes it can be bad. You know, you can stay awake a lot at night, just going down rabbit holes sometimes. <laughs> but um, I, I really wanted to do this because, um, one, in this whole area of spiritual formation, just what makes us grow what helps us grow and be formed into the image of of god and what are some of the barriers and you know, part of it was simply just i want more of god i want more of you god you know that was part of what was behind it but also um i i began writing i started doing research on some questions i couldn't answer about women in the church uh I started doing that research probably six, seven years ago, and then 
I wrote a book, which I didn't publish for a couple of years. And um, it's been out for a year. But in doing, in doing that, um, I realized that there were just things in the Bible that were, I couldn't, I didn't know how to answer. Um, and that's okay. There's always going to be things in the Bible we don't know how to answer. But um, I realized how much I was, I had been trained and grown up and the Bible says it, that settles it. And, but then I would read some things about that and said, but yeah, but it says this, and but it says this, and this doesn't seem to fit together. How does that work? And uh, for me too, it was, uh, there was a fear at first and even going down this road because, oh my goodness, if I'm questioning something of this, am I questioning God? And um, I've shared this before, but I actually, been through a lot of different things in my life. I actually have been struck by lightning for real in my life. And <laughs> well, that's like the probability of that is crazy. Yeah. I can't believe but, that's happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting things that have happened in my life. But, um, you know, I thought, I don't want to, I don't want to tempt this. I don't want to be going down a path where I'll be struck by lightning again. You know, I, I say that facetiously in a way, but I, I was fearful of doing that you know what uh there were things I was even I, I was curious about in reading and I thought oh I don't want anybody to know I'm even reading that you know <laughs> or finding something out but um or, or trying to find something out but you know I think what I saw is that the way I had been trained to interpret scripture through um and we might think this is gone from restoration history, uh, the, the, the blueprint of direct commands, uh, examples, and necessary inferences, uh, that's really embedded in there in many, many ways. And the trouble is that there's a lot of different ways to interpret inferences. And what um, I have been learning thus far, I've, I've been taking a deep dive this semester into restoration history and learning, okay, how did this pattern uh, interpretation, how did this hermeneutic come about? Where does it come from? And how does it affect how people are spiritually formed? And um, I am just kind of beginning the research process now, but the uh, fathers of our restoration movement, which I think many don't even realize that the history. Uh, in fact, if you would have asked me years ago when our church started, I would have probably told you the day of Pentecost. Um, and uh, Or some would say, well, it was 1979 in a living room. And, you know, there is just a lot more to it than that. We do, the Jesus of Christ have a, have a deep history. And um, what I believe began is a, is a pretty seemingly pure desire to unite all Protestants under what would certainly be clear in their minds, in the Bible, um, became something very different because what was clear to one person was not clear to the other and sides were created. And while there were some ugly parts of this where dogma and judgmental spirit and um, a war of periodicals and journals and saying horrible things about each other, and, um, you know, as the saying goes, what we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Um, How unfortunate. Yeah, yeah because uh, certainly we see this and so many things going on in the world around us today, but it can too easily raise its head in the church. And I think... Um, Certainly, it's just part of the issue, how we interpret. It's not everything. But when we let how we interpret the Bible uh, form 
the character away from Christ-likeness in us, uh, it becomes very problematic. And uh, we don't come, we don't come to unity, we come to side taking and derision on, you know, how can people think this way or do this other way and character attacks and entitlement and uh, better than you because of how I believe this and you are not enlightened or you are not hardline or all of these things went on. These were big practices. I could read some quotes uh, from some of these journals that honestly, uh, there were times when I read this and I just had to put the books away and pray and cry to try to process this because it was, um, it was really sad. But thank um, you real anyway, quickly. Anyway. Thank you for saying that because one of the most necessary steps is lament if, if you're gonna if you're gonna do whatever the process is you've got to do lament and i appreciate what you just shared which is you didn't just do mental ascent you did this was an embodied experience right and so you allowed the parts of you permission to have right. big feelings around things that happened in your life right 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 and um you know i'm trying to discern in this research how much the interpretive method impacted the formation to get off track from Christ-centeredness, really. And uh, there's more of that than I really thought. It's interesting thing about research. A lot of times uh, our pattern can be we have something in mind we want to teach or preach, and so we go to the scriptures to get it, the scriptures to take us there. And um, the thing I'm finding about my research is it's really leading me <laughs> more than I'm leading it. And um, that's a little bit scary because I'm not quite sure where we're going. But, um, you know, I know I'm, I'm learning a lot and then trying to uh, pray a lot about what can I learn about uh, myself? What can I learn about our church? Again, I've because of my age. And even the places I've been starting in the mainline church, uh, growing up through Crossroads, uh, through uh, Boston, we moved in uh, 87 to Boston. And being there uh, for so many years, um, you know, I've been able to have a front row seat to a lot of aspects of our recent history. Um, and in that I've seen, you know, is, is anything in any family. I want to remember and hold on to the things I've seen God do and work. And, and I'm so grateful for, because certainly God has been at work and, and uh, used so many things, but I don't, also don't want to be afraid to learn and see areas where, um, you know, this restoration movement in uh, 18th century and or starting in the late 18th century and then into through the 1900s and then where it's evolved today um, there became a lot of problems really quickly and um, I don't you know we're young and uh, I think we've got so much to learn and it's going to take all of us working together to do this contributing in the ways that we can and figuring out how to hold on to the baby and uh, throw out the bathwater. Th thank, thank you for saying that because I wanna, I wanna respond to a pendulum swing and there are many. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna be covering the pendulum swing aspect in future videos, but this idea of this either or is really kind of what pulls people like that to your yes. point. And so I think you have, I think a lot of people are in threat the reason why threat matters is because the thing that when we when we go through a traumatic experience or we go through something that's unsettling, what it does is it kind of programs us to be hyper aware to threat. And so we there can be an edginess that we kind of that's like our baseline, that's homeostasis, that the normal part of us that just kind of lives in threat. And one of the biggest things that I believe is threatened for a lot of people is that their theology is in threat. And so when I, when I look at where people are, there's been an era 
wherein we have sold certainty. And the reason why that's dangerous is because certainty to me, long-term is like a controlled substance. It creates dependence. And when you take it away, you see withdrawal symptoms. Certainty is something that can be packaged. It can mm -hmm. be bottled. It can be marketed. It can be sold. And then once people realize that that certainty to your point doesn't answer all the questions, right? We, we, you know, when I think of, and we're all guilty of it. I am before, especially I looked at, you know, deeper teaching and going into theology school, I would read a surface version of scripture of the text. And I, I, I have at times attempted to try to get the text to perform in ways that it's yes. not trying to perform. And I'm trying to get the Bible to answer questions. It's not trying to answer. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's interesting patternism. If we just kind of create a little bit of a base plate for people, patternism is kind of like the scientific method, but I would say that there's some steps taken out, but there's this method, there's this rational approach totally. to looking at what we see. Let's just take Acts. That's the New Testament historical book for the most part. Acts now becomes, instead of descriptive, it becomes prescriptive mm -hmm. on a level of being like wholesale, which could be very dangerous, I'm assuming, right? Mm-hmm. And, and is that kind of the basis for pattern is like, so if you tried to really break patternism down to a sentence or two, what would you incorporate into that definition? Yeah, well, certainly it is trying to recreate the primitive church in our day. And um, I think what you said is, uh, is very true. Certainly Campbell, Alexander Campbell was enamored with Francis Bacon's uh, inductive method, scientific reasoning. So much is based on that, but the Bible's not a science book. Um, the Bible's a, it's, there's a lot of mystery. There's a lot, it's not something that we can uh, put under a microscope and, and master it and take apart. Um, it's something that should be mastering us and it is still alive and it's still active it's the word of god is living the word of god is not contained in a, a leather binder so to speak it is uh it's bigger than that it's uh the word is god incarnate and um you know do i believe the bible is inspired by god absolutely uh but how we how we view it as um, a, a scientific project to uh, take apart and dissect and say this is this and this is this. It just, it doesn't work uh, well that way. It's not meant to be read that way, I don't believe. Um, and trying to restore the first century church, um, well, one thing, I don't want to restore a lot of the things in the first century church. Those were things that uh, certainly Paul in particular was saying, uh, this is not good, but you know, a blueprint, I, there's a lot of good things. I mean, commands yeah. of God, those are important. But um, if I'm going to build a house, I don't want to use the blueprint from my grandmother's house because I'd end up with outdoor plumbing. Um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I would end up with, um, probably service quarters, a coal furnace, uh, things that, um, are like, whoa. Um, and you know, that's how we view the Bible and try to take it apart. Using it as a blueprint is very, very problematic, although there are, by itself. If we use that by itself, it's simply one dimensional. And um, I think that's what becomes difficult when it is the main uh, hermeneutic that we use and we don't figure in what is the bigger picture of God? What is he teaching us and telling us? What is he in, in his pointing us to the kingdom of God and May it be on earth as it is in heaven. What Absolutely. is he, what is he pointing us to? What does he desire for us? And um, honestly, uh, expanding my 
you has helped me personally so much to um, not be troubled by some of the things that didn't make sense to me, but think, oh, now I understand that more. I've been looking at this in a way that I don't believe it was meant to be be studied or, or taken apart. And my faith in God and is only increased in the incredible beauty of the Bible is like, whoa, there's nobody could have written, there's nobody that could have written this outside of the spirit of God. But, um, you know, we are, uh, I'll show you know, when we adopted my youngest son was 12, um, and he wouldn't mind me sharing this, we've talked about it, but um, it was a very difficult transition for him and for us, for me in particular, because I think um, from some of the baggage that he carried with him, adult women were particularly hard for him. But um, I remember talking to a counselor who worked with uh, kids who grew up in Eastern European institutions. And she said, one of the things you've got to understand is that uh, everything that he does that makes that is completely illogical to you, it makes perfect sense to him. And um, you know we we live in ways that make sense to us. And so um, I, I think that you know I had to realize that what makes sense to me today isn't the same thing that made sense to the readers when the Bible was being written to them. And if I just try to um, try to go simply by my own cultural expertise and understanding, I'm gonna miss a lot of the intent of what was going on. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't, we weren't there, you know, when the letters were written, when the Bible was written. So there are some things we're just not gonna know for sure. And that's another thing I think we have to be okay with, that we can't know everything for sure. But you mentioned this, we want certainty and feel like something is wrong when uh, we can't say, no, I absolutely know this for sure. It's okay to not know for sure. In fact, if we can't get to that point, we can't ever be united because we're gonna be so sure that one way is right and another way is right. And we'll never be able to respect each other. I want to, I want to, I really like what you just mentioned about that because that, so recently Dave Pacta has had a series where he's gone through and kind of broke down the roots of fundamentalism. We're kind of in the camp of fundamentalism uh, for our listeners. And I, and I just want to say for our listeners, uh, I'm hearing what you're saying about talking in terms that are too ethereal or advanced. I, I'm going to try to break things down just a little bit more. Um, fundamental, fundamentalism, let's just make it that. It's about the fundamentals mm-hmm. and it's about salvation. And so what Dave kind of gets into that you're getting into is that there's a lot of patternism built into the conversion story, right? When you think about evangelists, uh, the evangelical or the fundamentalist camps, it's about this story that happens in a window of time. So I was this person and now I'm that person. And in in the meantime, I met Christ. And so I'm now this person. And now this person of who you see is this redeemed, safe person. The problem with that is that that doesn't communicate journey. Journey is this process, this lifelong process of becoming more and more like cross Christ. And, and so this kind of this idea of like, okay, when you have this idea that I got saved, and then that kind of becomes the pinnacle of your Christianity, then it kind of affects the way you read scripture for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And so when you think through journey though, which is what you see more in scripture, is that allows for people to be a mess and a process. Like becoming like Christ is messy. And he knew what he was getting himself into when he became a father, right? I mean, God, God wanted to be a dad. It's messy. And I think that part of the sort of the subculture of all of this is this understanding of I became a Christian and then all of a sudden there's all these disappointments that happen. Okay, guess what? That's a part of the, that's, right, that's a right. part of image bearing. 
But be, but part of when you package something together and you want to grow churches is you can package event versus process. And then when the process is there and you have you can't get out of the process. That that's that's where the trauma is, that's where life is lived, like you've you've been made a widow. That okay, there's not easy answers for that type of stuff. You adopted someone. There's not easy answer there is not easy answers from adopting in orphanages. That's hard, hard stuff that quick surface answers do not work for. And then people get disillusioned because they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. You told me that I was going to be this person after I came out of the waters and I was going to be able to take on the world. Wait a minute. Now I got to figure out how to do life on life's terms. And so I really think what you're talking about is essential because people need a way to work through what they've been through and what they're going through. And the, the standard answers don't work when we are Christians for longer. Anyway, that was a little bit of a rant, but what you're saying, I think is so spot on. Well, and I think the one constant in there for me, for wherever we go through is, um, Jesus is pretty simple. <laughs> I mean, um, and no matter what I've gone through, mm. he's there with me. He's been through it with me. He feels it with me. He's experienced He's experienced loss. Yep. You know, he's experienced, uh, I mean, extraterrestrial adoption, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he's experienced uh, shame from how he was, you know, he's experienced and he can relate and he, he feels it with me. And yet he's calling me to a, a place uh, that's beyond this world. <laughs> Uh, to a different way of thinking, to a kingdom way of thinking. And, um, you know, that can't be, um, that can't be measured as it was in the restoration movement with hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, mm -hmm. and even adding a sixth loop to Christian life. Um, it's, it is a journey, and it's one, if we're not, um, if, we're, if Jesus is not the focal point, of what we live and move and breathe. Um, and we understand that he is the God who sees. He's the God who hears. He's the God who cries with us. He's the God who uh, wants to see us through. He's always been with us. Then um, yeah, if we can hold on to that, I believe we'll be okay. Um, let, me, let me ask you about that. Um, you're, you're wise. Because, I mean, you, you've been through a lot of things, but you've seen a lot of things and you research. There are these pendulum swings and there's these overreactions. So, for example, there's a lot of people in ministry who feel attacked. And then there's a lot of members who feel like they can't trust. And everybody's looking for accountability and, and all these different things. And so when it comes to the pendulum swing, what's the encouragement that you have to kind of structure that, because I, I do think for the Christian, we have to be so careful not to go to one extreme versus the other. How do you balance that? Um, I think humility and listening are the places to start. Um, going into any conversation with, um, what can I learn here? And, and instead of going into it with the other person being the enemy or the wrong one, um, really seeing them as a true image bearer of God. They're beloved by God. They're my, uh, they're part of the body of Christ. They're my brother or sister in Christ. And, um, you know, love and humility, respect and listening. I, I think whether we're, um, that's hard for leaders and and uh, those who aren't and those who are trying to talk to to leaders. And I think anytime someone has felt like they couldn't say anything uh, and feel a little more uh, emboldened, I expect that it's not going to come across in the best way sometimes. Um, you know, I with my um, with my son that I mentioned, uh, who's been through a lot, uh, part of the thing, because I am such a safe place for him, 
I'm also a target of the stuff he hasn't worked out, his own anger. And um, I have got to always, and I've had to learn to not take this personally. Um, you know, I, I'm i gonna be a punching bag sometimes. Um, and again, we can take that too far, but I should be one who uh, can understand this is coming from his pain. Now I can't, you know, again, there's places that can go too far, but I think um, leaders have got to, to be willing to hear, to listen, to be a safe place for a person to question, for a person to, to say, and to try to understand uh, what that person's feeling and, uh, you know, what their convictions are. I think that's really important to not just have a pat answer, but to really listen. So what really I hear you saying with that, I want to freeze on that because I really like what you just said. Safety is about being able to ask questions. That's yes. a big part of safety. Okay. Yeah. There, I like the way you put that. And I, I really like what you just said, not to interrupt, around your son, because he does feel safe that at times you become a pincushion. Now, mm-hmm. I think what's also important as people lament, there is, there's their, their healthy lament doesn't lead to someone else being dehumanized. Right. Exactly. So there's boundaries wherein, hey, listen, I'm going to give you this space, but even therapeutically, I'm in my office right now, there are boundaries for this relationship. And so right. there's this, even with that, you're a pincushion, but your son, there's a, like a line. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> well. And he's, and he's not trying to live like Jesus now, you know, that's, um, that's a big thing. And when we're, when we have, um, decided that we're going to strive to reflect Jesus and following him, uh, no matter who we are. And I think a person is, is got to really pray to help me be like Jesus and what I, uh, and what, even in what I feel and what I talk about, you know, the Bible says, um, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I've learned that people do too. People resist the proud and give grace to the humble. Um, and I think uh, the more we can really strive to to pray to, uh, again, as disciples of Jesus, um, a soft answer turns away wrath. I mean, there are truths in, in uh, Philippians 4, be completely humble and gentle. Oh my goodness, how hard is that? Um, no matter who we are. And uh, again, that's why I think we can't ever get away from Jesus and pointing to Jesus. It's all about being like him. And, and um, you know, there's times I feel like I've been unfairly treated or hurt. Certainly there's extremes where people have experienced so much more. But um, part of that is entrusting to God who judges justly. He's big enough. Um, And it's, I believe when I gave my life to Jesus, I entrusted him so that I don't have to uh, hold on so tightly to my own rights or proclaim them is because I, um, I gave mine to Jesus and he's big enough. And I've seen him work in ways that when I felt helpless and hopeless, like, how can this change? I don't know how it can change. And uh, yet, if I don't try to take it into my own hands, which can be tempting, um, I've seen God do some amazing things that I would have never imagined in my wildest dreams could have happened. And um, I think I think we can't forget that... Um, God, we're, we're created in the image of God, but as Christians, we're to be transformed into his likeness more and more every in ever increasing glory and um, from one degree of glory to another. And um, that's where um, rage and bitterness and um, 
entitlement, arrogance, any of those things on no matter who we are is a leader or non-leader. None of those are godly. None of those are Christ-like. I appreciate you mentioning that because we, <clears throat> when we feel like someone has stripped us of a big part of our humanity, it's, that's when it's most tempting to lash out and to make statements. And, you know, you think about, I, I mentioned it, you know, recently, just this idea about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. And, you know, this idea of like, is a, is a total, is a collective group, you know, when you, how we treat one another is either going to help or damage our own sense of humanity. And so if you're oppressing someone or you are oppressed, your humanity can be damaged both ways. And it's very important that when we are hurting, that we try to stay as human as possible. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when it's the hardest. It's, it's, and, I, and I say this, it's hard to think like a shepherd when you're hurting. Yes. And I, I think some of us, especially who are older, I just appreciate the grace that you're, you're bringing into this conversation, the wisdom, the younger folks in you know, my generation and younger, I'm kind of between two generations. We, we really need to listen to the sage wisdom, I think, of the elder generation, um, because one day we're, we're not really going to have you guys anymore. <laughs> and it's just going to be us. And we're, all we're going to have is each other. <laughs> and we're going to be where you guys are. And you guys have lost a lot of your, you've lost your parents, you've lost spouses, you've lost spiritual mentors. And so, you know, sometimes I think people look at the builder generation for all these answers and you guys have never had the past of a Tom before you guys. Oh my goodness. You guys are trying to figure out stuff too. And, and, you know, we, we, we can kind of overload a lot of things on the builder generation. So I appreciate your, your vulnerability. Yeah, and some of the conversations I've had with some of our youth, oh my goodness, I am filled with so much hope. I'm filled with so much encouragement. Uh, one, I'm grateful that youth aren't afraid to ask questions, aren't afraid to, because if the Bible isn't strong enough to answer the questions, um, you know, what do we have? Uh, I, I believe it is. I believe that uh, God is big enough, but uh, I, and we're in a, Wow, this is a very different generation. Um, and I think my generation can underestimate many times how much has changed. I mean, the technology, uh, I mean, in some ways the pulpit doesn't mean what it used to mean because everybody's got their pulpit, right? And um, I, I appreciate the desire of so many of our youth to um, to really pick up some slack in areas that we were probably weaker on, not probably that we were weaker on, some of the social issues, social injustices. Uh, the, I, I deeply admire the care for the poor and the um, not being so quick to, to first view a person as a, a human loved by God uh, more than, um, I want to say this in the right way. Um, can, we can use this or not. <laughs> um, I remember uh, one time, and I think about this with uh, knowing my intentions were good, but I remember teaching a lesson, and I don't know why this uh, comes to my memory, but just uh, trying to help others feel the passion of evangelism. And I remember saying, when you see your neighbor in the driveway heading to the store, um, don't see her as heading to the store, see her as on the highway to hell. And that breaks my heart in many ways. While I believe I care most about people being right with God, I regret that I didn't say first see this person as someone loved by God. How can I know them? How can I give to them? How can I show Jesus to them and desire? Because one, 
the first way to me objectifies them a little bit rather than loves them. Well, Janie, I am, I really appreciate your vulnerability and your transparency. And absolutely, I think that is more than appropriate to share. And I think that, um, I think we need more people who are willing to be courageous to share stuff like that because it, it sends a signal to people that, you know, people have and really engaged whatever practices they, they, they think different, like repentance is a process. We, we can be a journey and we can, we can make a mess and be a mess. And so I really appreciate what you're sharing because I, I think that, uh, we, ex we really kind of don't allow people to be human sometimes, you know, especially if they're in the ministry. And so people in the ministry are human, unbelievably human. So I, I appreciate what you've shared. I want to ask just, uh, as far as any upcoming announcements, you've done a, a lot of, you've done some podcasts recently. Uh, I, I, you've got books, you've got all kinds of stuff. What do you want to share with us? Well, um, yeah, I guess I'll say I, I have been enjoying doing some podcasts lately and some teaching. Um, this past year, I had three new books that came out. Um, uh, one of them was, again, I tell you, I write out of my own <laughs> situation, but the latest one was called um, The Sacred Journey, Finding God in Caregiving. Mm. And uh, I did learn that there are so many people, um, not just older people, but younger too, who have responsibilities in caregiving. And it is hard. And uh, there are questions. Sometimes you question God. You you know, there's some hard situations people are living. And so um, it is about all kinds of different caregiving situations because I asked some people to write who had situations with parents, situations with siblings, situ caregiving situations with um, uh, children, uh, you know, other relatives, both uh, some uh lot mainly physical but some also emotional and they write their stories so this is an anthology it's not just me i mm. i couldn't be complete without that so i would highly recommend that for anyone who is involved in caregiving um i also wrote probably my favorite book uh because of the subject but it's called wednesdays with wyndham um mm. uh godly wisdom for everyday life and uh, my husband was a very wise man um, and was a very, uh, probably the biggest description people, uh, other than wisdom, was a safe place. And um, I learned a lot from him. And in that, I put together in like a devotional form with some reflective questions, and prayers, uh, just some practical wisdom for everyday life. And I've had a really good response from that. Uh, it's called Wednesdays with Wyndham. And then uh, the other book was a book called, this was the fruit of the study I mentioned on women. It's called The View from Paul's Window, Paul's Teachings on Women. And those were all published in 2020. So um, yes, so those came out. I've uh, done a few podcasts lately. One of them that I've probably done the most work on is one that uh, Travis Albritton and Karina Spada, I think her last name, um, have been doing, uh, the first sessions were with Jason Alexander, a teacher from the Midwest, who yeah. gave a lot of great background on, on Genesis and Old Testament and, and why that matters and, and looking at what the Bible says about women. And then uh, they gave me some real easy scriptures like 1 <laughs> Corinthians 11 and 14 and 1 Timothy 2. Romans 16. And so I, oh, I did they four, hooked you podcasts, up. <laughs> yeah, four podcast sessions on those. And then they've got some other, I won't, uh, I'll let them do the announcement of those. They've got some, uh, some great uh, speakers coming up as well for that. So that's been, uh, I appreciate the tone that that was done in, uh, not of this is the way it needs to be. This is what is right. This is the only way to interpret this, but um here are, you know, my thoughts, but here are other views and we've got to respect those because it's a controversial topic because 
people haven't scholars have not been able to come to uh, one mind on those things, uh, and that's part of what we're talking about. Again, we've got to have humility and Christ-likeness and ability to be figure out how to get united. Absolutely. In these things. Well, I so thank you for your vulnerability today. I thank you for your wisdom. You've seen a lot. I could ask you, I could probably talk to you for another three hours, a lot on things that you and your husband noticed through the years, serving people around the world and just the conversations you've had that were formative for you. There's so many things. And then your research, I just, I want to say that we are with you and God is for you, my sister. Thank you. I, I feel his love and thank you for, for this. Uh, I, I appreciate it. It's good to be able to share. Well, thank you so much for those of you that have watched through the entire video. Uh, many of you, several of you watch all the way through and sometimes several times. And I just want to thank you so much for helping to grow the channel, the ministry, and I will see you next time.